This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. It's good to see you this morning. We are in uh, week three of this series called All In, where we're talking about how God has created us to live in community together. And if you've been with us for uh, the previous two weeks, you know that uh, we've talked about how God calls us to go all in in community, that we are to uh, not only come to Christ, but that we come to Christ together. And the life Jesus calls us into is not one of just a personal relationship with him, but uh, a relationship with other believers as well. So we kicked that off two weeks ago and kind of made the push for you to get involved in home groups. If you weren't able to do that two weeks ago, they meet again tonight at 6 o'clock, so there's still a chance for you to do that. When you go out after service to your right, there's a a table set up that lists all the home groups, has a place for you to sign up, so you can do that and, and go participate in that tonight. Then last week, we talked about what it looks like to go all in in serving God and serving others. And so there were, if you weren't with us, you missed it. There were these all-in cards that we gave you last week. And on the the back of them, uh, there was an opportunity for you to circle an area of of service that you would be interested in. So there were 10 of those that were here at Christian Chapel, five that are out in the community. If you weren't with us, but you would like to to serve in some area or like to learn more about serving, again, when you leave under the TVs and the foyer, uh, there are these all-in cards. You can grab one, put your name and email address on it and then drop it in this box at the back of the sanctuary that says worship gifts. Uh, You're not committing yourself long-term. You're just saying, I'd like to learn more about that. And just to encourage you, I did get, uh, I got one last week that had circled all 15. So the bar has been set. And if you're competitive, uh, he even one-upped you to make sure that even if you circled all 15, he was still better than you because at the bottom he wrote, I want to be the pastor. Uh, so we will do our best to honor all of these, but he is totally out of luck. He was one of our, our brilliant college students, although there, there's probably going to be a day in the next year where I'll call him and be like, it's yours. Just come, <laughs> come take it. I'm, a, I'm done. I'm out of here. But uh, fill those out for us. That would be great, and we'll get you a spot to serve. All through this series, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and just seeing what it teaches us about the importance of going all in, that we have this confidence to stand in God's presence. As individuals, we stand in his presence together, and so now, how do we live that out? Last, time, last week, we talked about holding on to that hope that we profess. This week, we're going to talk about the importance of meeting together, of gathering together, going all in in worship of God. So to do that, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 this morning. But for context, I'll start back in verse 23, where he says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this idea of verse 25 is, is really where we're going to settle in today. The idea of don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So on the day when we talk about worshiping God together, congratulations, you're here, right? This is the one you've probably maybe feel extra bad about if you miss, because if you didn't come, like your friends who go to home groups tonight and they weren't here this morning, like what did we talk about this morning? Worshiping together. Just let it hang for a minute and see how they respond, okay? But, uh, but you're off, all of us, we're off the hook because we're here. 
and so what I want to encourage you with is all through the series, we've been talking about how the, the church is not an audience, right? It's not all about just coming and sitting here for an hour to an hour and a half on Sunday, checking that box and going on with our life. Now, the, the challenge for us this morning is we're going to talk about the importance of coming here together, all being here, worshiping God, praying together, listening to the message together. Um, And so it it might seem like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth saying, it doesn't really matter, well, you need to be here. Um, And so what I I hope, though, that we're all smart enough to understand, and, and I think we are, is that while you can come and be part of an audience without ever really being part of the church, On the other side of that, being part of the church always involves gathering together to worship God. Like to to be part of a community of faith will always involve coming together with your brothers and sisters on a regular basis to worship God together. And so that's what we're going to look at and that's what we're going to explore this morning. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I also want to be upfront with you and let you know I'm I'm not going to try to guilt you into anything. Um, you know, this is not a, we need to get our numbers up. So make people feel bad about not coming to church Sunday. Um, it's just not, maybe you've been in that situation before, but my hope this morning is that we will understand that, that the, the discipline, the, the gift of being able to worship God together is an essential part of our life as Christians. Now, when the writer of Hebrews writes, he is concerned that there were those who were giving up this privilege, right? He says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, we don't know exactly why they were giving it up. It could have been a fear of persecution. Remember, they were Jews uh, who had converted to Christianity, so they ran the risk of being persecuted by their friends and family members who remained in the Jewish faith. They also lived under Roman rule, and so they ran the risk of being persecuted by the government as well. And so there was a a very real fear that coming to Christ uh, could lead you into a life of difficulty. So it's possible People are giving up meeting together f- to avoid persecution. It's also possible, based off of what he says, uh, but all the more as you see the day approaching, that they were giving up meeting together because Christ had not returned yet. And so they were getting discouraged. They had been kind of given this promise that Jesus is going to come back and restore and renew all things, and now it hasn't happened. So maybe some of them had kind of started to give up, or, or maybe they had given up meeting together just because. It was no longer convenient. It was no longer easy. So they were just going back to what they would prefer to do. But what is interesting is that the writer of Hebrews is so concerned about this that he takes time to address it specifically, to tell them, don't give up. Don't stop meeting together. He's emphasizing for us, and I think opening our eyes to this idea, that a departure from the weekly worship gathering, a departure from the church often precedes or accompanies a departure from Christ himself. And so his concern is not just that these first century Christians are checking the box and going to their house church. His concern is that they are staying connected to Christ and part of staying connected to Christ always involves staying connected to the body of Christ. So he says, don't give up, keep doing it. Now, for you and I, I think we can admit this is a very relevant warning for us to hear. There have been so many surveys and studies done over the past 10 or 15 years especially that show the continual decline of church attendance in America. Now, there's all kinds of reasons for that. There are uh, people who have just left the church entirely. 
Um, but what's, what's more interesting is part of the reason for that declining number is that people who identify themselves as committed Christians are attending church less frequently. And I think you and I, if we had time, if you grew up in a, a family where there's a, a rich legacy of faith, where mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, maybe back a couple generations, where, where you've always been people who are committed to the Lord and committed to church, if we had time, you could evaluate, and you can have this conversation in your home group tonight, but you could evaluate the amount of time you spend at church versus what they did. And, and for the most part, what most of us are going to see is I attend church a little bit less than my parents did. And definitely less than my grandparents did. And you just kind of see this step-down approach. And again, it's not just people who have left the church, but it's Christians attending church less often. Now, there are several reasons for that. There's a, a pastor in Canada named Kerry Newhoff who, who writes a lot, blogs a lot, uh, has a, a great leadership podcast. He wrote this uh, February 16th, 2015. Ten reasons even committed church attenders are attending less often. And it got a, a lot of traction and, and was shared in a lot of places. And, and I found it and followed his blog and was reading it. So I shared this with our board of deacons and our pastoral staff this past January at our leadership retreat. And we spent some time reading through this, evaluating the, the reasons he gives and exploring for ourselves, is this true of me? And then having discussions about how much does this impact Christian chapel? How much do these things impact our culture? And what does all of that mean for our ability to reach people for Christ? And so what I want to do is take the next few minutes to explore not all 10, but about five of the reasons he gives and, and reworked them uh, just a little bit, kind of for some clarity's sake and, and for our time's sake this morning. But Newhoff gives five reasons that people are giving up meeting together on a regular basis, and I think they're worth our time. The first one he gives is greater affluence. Now, you and I, uh, you know, being in a, an American church that is made up of largely middle-class people, uh, most of us understand we enjoy a quality of life that maybe our parents or our grandparents or definitely our great-grandparents didn't enjoy. And with that greater affluence, with this wonderful blessing of God that we've received, um, it gives us the freedom to do things that, that previous generations couldn't. There's also technological changes and just a, a lower cost of travel and all these kinds of things. But all of this leads to we just have the ability to be gone more, right? You just don't stay as home as much as people have in previous generations. And so because we're gone more, we can travel to different places. We can take a lot of little weekend trips. If you've got family out of town, you feel that extra pull of we've got to get there and see people. And so what we find is that whereas a couple generations ago, a family like when I was growing up, my family did one vacation in the summer, and we went to see grandma and grandpa one or two other times during the year. And that was the extent of our out-of-town traveling. Other than that, we were at home. Many of you probably had the same experience, but what we see now is that as we are more and more affluent, we have more opportunities to go places to do things. And as we get busier and busier because of our affluence... We often feel like the only time we can be together, either as a married couple or as a family, is when we go away. You know, like the only way we can bring our family together is to leave our home, which is its own strange thing that needs to be dealt with. But we have to recognize this. But the, the temptation you and I face is that we allow this tremendous blessing of God to become something that actually pulls us away from the community he's planted us in. 
to where it's easier to be gone than it is to be at home. And, and the more we're away from home, the harder it is to be planted and rooted in a community of faith where you are known and you know others and you worship God together. So it's definitely one that we face, definitely one we have to pay attention to. Um, the next one he gets it, he phrases it as just a, a kid-centric culture. I, I added a word in there partly from my own experience. It is an insane kid-centric culture. If you are there right now, or you're about to be there, you have been there, here's what you understand. If your kid can do it, whatever it is, sports, drama, music, leadership, class, whatever it is, if they can do it, there are people in our city who will take all your money and all your time to help your kid do it better. Doesn't matter what it is. So Angie and I, where we fight this battle is with kids' sports. And, and it's easy to pick on sports, but again, we see the insanity in, in lots of other areas as well. Whatever a kid's interested in, there's somebody who tells you, if you'll pay me more money and let your kids spend more time doing this, we will help them achieve greater levels of success. You know, and so you quickly kind of just find yourself living this life where you once had kind of been building this thing and, and going for God's dreams, and suddenly it's all devolved around to how many weekend championships can little Johnny win? And you're traveling all around the Midwest, and you're chasing all, I mean, we've, we've ran into families who, they're working two and three jobs to pay for private coaches and traveling teams and all these other things for eight-year-olds. Like, is there another word than insane? No, there's not. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Greta. The rest of you, maybe you're crazy too. I don't know. But, uh, you know, and, and, and I say this not as the angry, because I grew up at times with this angry, like, well, if you love Jesus, you want to play sports. It's like, oh, I really do love Jesus, but really like basketball too, you know. So, so I'm, I'm not saying this is like you need to, withdraw your kids from the world and move out to the country and churn your own butter. That's not the, the solution here, right? But there has to be a way where we as, as followers of Christ can engage in activities our kids enjoy without selling their soul and ours in the process, where we can say no to some of these things. So, I mean, you, but it, it's just an endless battle because the more and more mom and dad say yes, and, and the schools have all the time during the week, so the only time for all these clubs and sports and activities to, to get more time is to take up your weekend. And the more you're gone on the weekend, obviously, the more difficult it is for you to plant your family and your children in a community of faith where you worship God together. So it's a challenge that, that we have to deal with. The next one he gives us is that we just misunderstand the nature of the church. You know, for many uh, Christian people, their understanding of the church is very selfish. Church is a place where I come to sing songs that I like about Jesus, where I come to hear a message that is encouraging to me, where I come to have people pray for me, where I come to give my money to help do other things. And, and so the whole experience of church becomes pretty selfish and self-centered. And when it's that selfish, it's pretty easy to replicate that without ever coming here. Because you can listen to worship music in your car. You can listen to uh, preachers who are much better than me on a podcast during the week. You can give online to whatever church or organization you want to support. And so if church is only a matter of checking these few boxes, you can do that without ever gathering together. Again, we misunderstand the nature of the church. We misunderstand the nature of worship. Worship is not about what I am receiving. It's about what I'm giving. 
So when the church gathers together for worship, we have a gift that we are bringing to the Lord, and we have gifts that we are to share with one another. But when we misunderstand that, it's very easy to move away from it. Our culture is changing is another reason I think we see this. It's, it, it, Newhoff in his blog, he talks about just the cultural disappearance of guilt. That there was a day where people just felt bad if they didn't go to church. And that day's gone, right? It is long gone. Now, a few of you, you still feel that way. And, uh, and I get that too. I, I feel that way. Um, but for the most part in our culture, and, and Newhoff gives the example in his blog, he says, you know, there, when I first started pastoring and I went to the grocery store and I saw someone who hadn't been in church for several weeks, they would uh, always apologize to me. They would say like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then they'd give me the reasons of why they hadn't been in. He said, now if I run into somebody in the grocery store that I haven't seen in a couple months, it doesn't occur to them or honestly to me that they should apologize. All that they say is, man, we love the church. We can't wait to be there sometime, you know? And, and it's just, it's a totally different culture. And I think we see that as well. And that plays out in lots of ways too. I, I mean, gone are the days of, of only factory workers and health professionals having to worry about working on the weekends. Right, virtually every career, every job now has the potential to become a 24-7 thing that consumes all your time. And so in a changing culture, it's not at all unusual for our views on church and, and worship gatherings specifically to change and to evolve. The last one, that, or the last one that we'll talk about is just that idea that it's just simply not very important. And again, this is, these are reasons Christians are attending church less, that for Christians, many of us, have never experienced the fullness of life in Christ that comes when we plant ourselves in a community of faith, where we commit ourselves to worship God together with other believers. And I, I think what we need to be aware of is that, and especially as parents, that it's easy for someone to walk away from something they've never been, never been attached to. You know, so, so maybe think of it this way, parents. Perhaps the reason so many young people walk away from Christ is because they were never attached to him in the first place. And if gathering together for worship, if teaching our families that, no, we, we stop and we worship once a week with other believers, if that has never been anything but a convenience for our families, then maybe we shouldn't be all, surpri all that surprised when our kids walk away because it's no longer convenient for them. You know, th these are things, and, and so as we, as we read through these and talk about these, um, they make some of us very uncomfortable. And I think that's okay. You know, when, when I read through them the first time, some of them made me uncomfortable. And I, I saw parts of it where I thought, man, thank God that I have to be there on Sunday because that's keeping my family there. And, and I saw, I mean, just being very honest with you, I, I saw things in there that I thought, if it, if it wasn't my job, how often... How often would we be there? How far would we go? Where would we travel? What would we do? And, and recognizing that it takes a determined effort to be a regular part of a worshiping community in our current culture, in our particular place in life. It's far easier just to do whatever we want, whenever we want, than it is to arrange our schedules around a time of worshiping God together. Now, again, I'm, I, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. So if you're already feeling that, uh, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. Okay, so take it up with him. But here's, here's the thing. I'm, we don't want something from you, right? The goal is not to get you to come here out of guilt more often, 
right? Like, you're going to be miserable anyways. If you're going to be miserable, I'd rather see you less. But anyway, you know, but uh, so not really, kind of, yeah. But come here because God has something for you. Come here because this is how he's designed you. Come worship with you because it's how God has made you, not because you're trying to perform some kind of religious ritual to make yourself feel a little bit better during the week. So as we begin to move into what the scriptures tell us about why we worship together, I want you to keep that in mind, that we're not worshiping together to try to appease God, but we're doing this because it's what he's commanded us to, and he's commanded us to it for a very specific reason. The first one is that meeting together is stabilizing. Now, the the writer of Hebrews is concerned that these believers are giving up on the spiritual discipline of gathering together for worship. He's writing to believers with a Jewish background, so they have a very rich understanding of the idea of Sabbath. When you read the Old Testament, starting with the creation stories, it says, set for six days God worked, and on the seventh day he rested. And then through Abraham, through Moses, through all the Old Testament, we find this rhythm being established in the life of God's people. You work six, on the seventh you rest, and you worship. And this rhythm is built into their lives to remind them that God is the source, God is the provider, God's the main character in every story, and that if you stop, the world keeps spinning. You're not God, he is. And and this is one of the primary reasons that the Sabbath was so important to the Jewish people. Now in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see that the believers kept this practice, but they changed the day. It says they began to meet on the first day of the week together. Again, it was a reflection of their belief that they needed to stop once a week to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, to to kind of glory in his intervention in the world and his presence in their lives, and again, to be reminded, God is at work, God is in control, he's got this, I can rest, and I can worship. And you and I continue to need to hear that message over and over and over again. We are tempted to work and work and work and work and think that we're the ones holding it all together. But when we gather together for worship, when we stop, when we breathe, when we rest, when we lift our voices, our hearts, our hands to him, it reminds us that all of this is about him. It's not about me. And so worship becomes a stabilizing force in our lives. It becomes a a way for us to understand that no matter how high or low my life is, God is the one constant who is over it all, under it all, and in it all. And I need that stabilizing force in my life, and so do you. And one of the ways God gives gives it to us is by worshiping together. There's also a warning for us that if we give up the habit of meeting together, we will replace it with other habits of worship. And those habits of worship will lead our souls to depths of despair and despondency that we've never known because we are worshiping things that cannot hold the weight of our worship. So meeting together stabilizes our souls. It also, he tells us, gives us the opportunity to encourage one another. And I think this is something we all understand. We all need encouragement on a weekly basis, right? Like There are things that have happened to you in the last week that you need to be encouraged after experiencing them. If you can't just, I mean, think of last Monday night. Did you watch the presidential debate? Anybody? Anybody need a little bit of encouragement after that? Yeah? Yeah, right? God help us. 
Let's be encouraged, you know? But, but not just that. I mean, there's, there's a thousand other ways. This week, some of you were, were physically hurt. You were sick. You were injured. Some of you got bad news about a friend or a family member. Some of you had a terrible week on the job. Some of us were, were dealing with guilt and doubt and shame over past experiences or current sins. Some of us were hurt by the sins of others. Some of us are uncertain about what the future might hold. Some of us are, are worrying about the state of our relationships with our spouse or with our children. What the scriptures teach us is that when we gather together for worship, it's an opportunity for us to encourage one another in God's presence. And so when we come together, we're not coming for a show, right? But we're coming to sing the truth of who God is and what that means for us and let our hearts be encouraged. We're coming and in, in all of our singing and all of our praying and all of our preaching and all of our conversations with each other and every kid's class and nursery story that they tell, we are encouraging one another that the gospel is true, that his power is enough, and that his presence is here. And we all need that encouragement all of the time. And it's not just something that we come to receive, but it's also something that we come to give. And I want you to think with me about the the difference between just kind of generic encouragement that you've received in life and really specific and personal encouragement, right? The the most encouraging statements that anyone has ever made to you has been from somebody who knows you, who knows the situation you're in, and maybe if it's really difficult, they still see the, the goodness in you. And they begin to call it out. They begin to show you the things that God is working. So, so think of it this way. If you, if you go to lunch after church, you go down to Panda Express, and you're, let's just say you're in a tough spot this morning, and you crack open a fortune cookie, and it says, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> it's encouraging, right? Maybe you sing the song. I don't know. But it's encouraging, and it's true, and it's worthless, right? It really doesn't mean anything. But let's say you're in a rough spot, and as you're walking out of service this morning, or as you're sitting in a home group, somebody takes time, and they pull you aside, and they say, hey, I was, I, as we were in there worshiping, I, I just I felt like God telling me I need to tell you this. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And he has a plan for you right where you are. The difference between the generic encouragement and the specific and personal encouragement is why we need to worship together. We don't need fortune cookie faith or fortune cookie encouragement. Your primary source of Christian encouragement cannot be what some pastor you never met tweets out on a Tuesday morning. It can't be, I can't be your primary source of Christian encouragement. You need people that you're friends with, that you have relationships with, that you worship God together, who know the details of your life and will come alongside you and say, I know it's bad, but here's what God is doing. You need people who know you well enough that when life is really great, when you're really, really nailing it, will come alongside of you and say, isn't God good? Let's thank him for these moments together. Encouragement must be personal. We gather together and we encourage one another as we worship God. The writer of Hebrews says that we also continue to do that all the more as we see the day approaching. 
When he says this, when he talks about the day, he's referring to the second coming of Christ. Now, again, I don't know where you grew up. Some of you, maybe you grew up in, in churches where uh, the second coming of Christ was like the, the guillotine hanging over your head. You know, it was never good news. If you were here on Labor Day, you heard one of our, our missionaries talking about how for him growing up, it was a, a, just a, a topic of terrible fear. That he grew up thinking two would be in the bed and neither would go. That two would be grinding the grain and both would be left behind. You know, just kind of those ideas of Christ is coming and you don't have a chance. It, but what the writer of Hebrews is, is encouraging us is that, no, 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 Christ is returning. That's an encouragement to you. And because he's returning, you should continue to worship God together. The return of Christ is the promise that he will renew and restore, that he will redeem, that he will save, that he will completely remake the heavens and the earth. And we will enjoy living in that together with him. And each time we gather together for worship, we're not only asking God, what can you do now? We're not just reflecting on what he's done in the past, but we're also looking forward. And when we look forward to his return, what it reminds us of is that if I can trust God on that day, on the day that everything we know does come to an end, if I can trust him to save me on that day, And I can trust him on this day and the day after that and the one after that. See, our enemy conspires to cause us to lose sight of that day with the worries of this day. And one of the primary ways that we fight against that is by gathering together to worship God. To remember that Christ has come and Christ will come. And in this space in between, We live in his presence. We live in his promises. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't come here on a Sunday hoping they sing your song. Don't come here on a Sunday hoping to be entertained for 30 minutes. Come here with a heart ready to understand that the God who's over all, the God who's above all, the God who's in all, the God who stands before all things and in whom all things hold together is the one you come to worship. He's the one your life revolves around. He's the one who gives you your breath, your purpose, and your meaning. And when we gather in these moments, our hearts are turned upward towards him. Our hands are extended to one another and we encourage one another with these words. Worship is not just about going to church on a Sunday. But for us in our context, it does include that. This is the way, the primary way that we're connecting, that we're beginning to form and establish these relationships. And then from here, we go deeper into them with one another. So my encouragement to you this morning is that you would evaluate in your own life, what what are the things that cause you to give up the habit of meeting together? What are the temptations you face that pull you away from the community of the saints? In what areas of life are are you most tempted to worship something other than God? 
And then go to your home groups tonight and have some, have some good conversations about this. Learn from those who've gone before you. Be an example to those who are coming after you. If these are the battles we fought. This is the victory that God has won. And this is how we can all live in this together. Your soul needs you to worship God regularly. Your family needs you to worship God regularly. Our city needs us to worship God regularly. We are bombarded by messages and by agendas, and that's why it's so essential for us to gather together at least every week to be reminded there is another kingdom, there is another plan, there's a God who's at work in it all. And his grace and his mercy are flowing down to us and flowing out through us. And so we practice the discipline of worship to be part of his kingdom coming, to be part of his will being accomplished. And and as we do that, it leads us into this existence where no matter what life may throw at us, we can stand with confidence knowing that God sees us, God knows us, God loves us, and God is working his plan in our lives and in our world. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for you. The band's gonna come and and lead us in that song, It Is Well, which is a, a beautiful reminder to us that no matter what we face, God is with us. And because he is with us, our soul can be settled in the most turbulent moments of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have a plan and you are working that plan in our lives and in our world. I pray for those who've come this morning weighed down by the burdens of life. And Lord, I ask that for those who are sick, that you would release your gifts of healing into their body. I pray for those who don't have a relationship with you, that they would receive your offer of salvation this morning. I pray for those who are suffering from depression, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength in these moments. I pray for those who are doubting your involvement, that your spirit would sow gifts of faith in their heart. I pray for those who are desperate for your provision, that they would see you as a father who knows their needs and delights in meeting them. Lord, you see our needs in in all the wide varieties of brokenness that we have. We ask this morning, God, help our eyes, help our hearts to look up and to see you for who you are. And may it settle our souls. May it settle our relationships. May it settle our world. May we be able to truthfully sing the words of this song. No matter what comes, it is well with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.